You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Um, we're still working on that peace that Christ gives the believer, and we're, uh, our verse that we've been working on for about three weeks now, John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And I think we discovered, and I hope to remind you of, these two aspects of this peace that God gives or Christ gives to the believer. First of all, it's he possesses it, and it's his to give. He has to have ownership of it in order to give it to you. It is warm on this platform, let me tell you. So if I keel over, Charlie Alva knows first aid. But don't let him give me the breath of life, no matter what. Keep your lips off me, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to live that bad. <laughs> so number one, he possesses it, and it's his to give. You have to possess him. You have to have ownership of it in order to give it away as an inheritance. So he owns it, he gives it to you. And it's the same peace that he enjoys in his relationship with the Father. The peace that he gives us, he wants us to understand so that we can have the same peace that he enjoys with the Father. The peace that we're talking about is not world peace. It's not the kind of peace that comes from ecumenicalism where all religions are the same and they all point to God and we should all get together and have these big, you know, religious rah-rah parties where we're all praying to the same God. It's, that's not, it will never come from that. It will never come from a one-world government, never. In fact, when the one-world government does come into play, it's closer now than it's ever been. Um, when it comes into play, the thing that Christians will not have is peace from men. They will seek to destroy us in every way. We read that in Daniel. It's again in Revelation. It's not going to be pretty. But the peace that we have is a spiritual peace that comes in our relationship between the Spirit that dwells in us, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. So this peace of them conversing with one another. It's a provision for the believer to enable him to live in a joyful state, no matter the status or the happenstance of the things that goes around us. I don't know if you are following these things. It's amazing, just, just a little side note there for you to keep an eye on. So in the last days, it talks about a mark that will keep you from buying or selling, right? And, so it's, and, and I always, as a young person, I was thinking, well, you know, everybody knows about this mark of the beast, right? And it's going to keep us from buying and selling. And um, it'll be real obvious and people will just reject it because a lot of people know about the mark of the beast. Well, um, the day before Thanksgiving, the, the Federal Reserve came up with a digital currency um, for the United States of America that it will be ultimately implemented for us. And many people say, well, well, we still have gold, or we'll still have silver, we'll have some other way to exchange goods and services. I'm telling you, you'll have no choice. You'll have no choice. If you want to buy groceries, you'll use their currency. And so to think about those things, and, and to it will be subtly placed in. I was in Peru, and you had to have a card that said you were um, inoculated with COVID uh, vaccine um, three times. You had to have that to go in and buy groceries. And so they held the people at gunpoint. They had security guards at the door of the grocery stores. And if we didn't weasel around and show them stuff that was printed in English, we couldn't have gone in the grocery stores because we weren't vaccinated. And so it's where we're going. It's, where, it's coming. I'm telling you, believers, you need to have this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. you got to have it. Because it's the only thing that's going to give you endurance. It says if these days weren't shortened, even the elect would have been 
um, led astray. So know that these things on a worldwide scale are happening, and some of them are very far outside of our control. But we as believers need to be stable in our faith. We need to have this peace that passes all understanding because what's going on is beyond our understanding. So the peace that we have has to be more powerful than the things um, of this world. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just saying be aware. I mean, call your congressman. Tell him we don't want digital currency. Uh, tell him I don't want you to take away the way that I do business. It's okay to tell him that. Well, you can tell him now, or you can wait till it's too late, and you can just be under the pressure of that. And you say, well, it's no big deal. I just use a credit card. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Eventually, it'll be an implant of some sort. They're doing it in other countries. They'll do it here too. That aside, panic not. Not all believers live in constant peace, for sure. Anger's in family. Anger in families happens every day, including the Sabbath rest day. Um, personalities, different egos, just our own sinful nature. People come to church with a disturbed mind often. They look at other people. They think that that person is looking at them in a, oh, did you see how that guy looked at me? He's not even looking. He doesn't even think about you. Trust me on this. People are so selfish and egotistical, nobody's thinking about anybody but themselves. So get over it. And get your peace right with the Father, and you'll be so much happier. Forget what other people think about you, students, young people, and exist, old people, exist in the peace that is, goes beyond understanding that there in Philippians 4. Exist in that. Get your orientation right with the Father, and all this... All this other stuff, will, it'll go away. We lose our peace um, because we're not walking closely with God. And when our, we're not walking closely with God, our peace is easy to disturb. We're easily thrown off track. Um, the, uh, the ungodly, their peace is imperfect. It's not complete. They're trying to satisfy it with um, you know, material possessions. The backslidden believer, listen, it might be you, your peace is easily disturbed because you're far from God. I wandered far away from God. You're far away. Seek the Lord while he is near. Call upon him while he may be found. Get him close. Get close to him. He's close. He's close. He's right here, but you've got to call upon him. You've got to be dwelling with him. We're going to see that what that dwelling is. Um, so we should begin with prayers like there in four, Philippians 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So those three things, or those three verses, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. If you got this going on, rejoicing in the Lord always, your gentleness known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Remembering the Lord is close by. And last, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, then will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's what we got to have. We got to have somebody taking care of our hearts and minds because we, we can't do it. In our fallen nature, we cannot protect even our own minds. John 15, 11. We're going to be in John right there. We're going to be in three places primarily. Let me write them down. We'll, we'll write them down for us. We'll do better. Especially Emily. She said I talk too fast. Mark 14. 
verse 36. Uh, uh, Romans, uh, Galatians 4, verse 6. And in Romans uh, 8.15. That's where we're going to primarily be today. We're in John just for a second there as we look at this verse. John 15.11. It says, These things I have spoken to you that your joy may re- my joy may remain in you and your joy may remain full. But we're going to see that it's all about abiding in Christ to gain this joy, this peace. We can tie joy to peace. Very similar words very similar production in the life of the believer. The joy that's provided is an enabler of ability to keep the commandments of God. This new command I give unto thee, love one another. And it's true and undefiled religion before God and the Father says, care for the widow and the orphan in their distress. Care for the prisoner in his chains. Feed the hungry. Care for the poor. Seek the lost. You're going to be fine. You're going to have the peace. In the serving of the lost, in the serving of other believers, you're going to find a joy and a satisfaction in the Lord that you didn't possess before. I can't tell you why it works. I'm just telling you it works. I can't tell you why we can go to people's houses, and I will say it was 95% positive. There was 5% of rejection. 95%. People were glad that we would talk to them, that we would pray with them, that we would speak to them. And then one guy told me, Charles, what did he say? I'm not interested in what you got at all. Get out of here. (laughs) I don't know if he said get out of here, but he closed the door in our face, and by his motions he said get out of here, you know. I mean, it's sad But that guy's probably more convicted than all the other people we talked to because he heard the word and he didn't go away glad. He went back in his house and he sulked. I knew when we walked up on the door, he had some kind of agnostic, you know, kind of quote on the front of his door there on the side. I mean, when you see that, he's advertising up front. I don't believe in God. I don't want God. But in his spirit, he does. He just doesn't realize it. So the joy provided... It, it, it's directly tied to being obedient to the commandments of God. It's proper and appropriate love. It's familial love, neighborly love, love for your enemies, and love for God. Um, it'll take this kind of understanding and appropriation of the peace of God in order to gain the joy and love of Christ. And, and we need all of those, the peace, the love, the joy of Christ, We need all of those to be able to survive in a culture that absolutely hates God. That Jonathan Edwards' um, message, men, natural enemies of God, we see a lot of people tell you, you'll see it on signs, God is love, you know. The transgender, homosexual people, they really like to use these signs to beat up Christians. God is love. You're trying to beat us up and you're not accepting me. God is love. And like I've said a thousand times, he's wrath too. He's both. You're, you're in his love when you're not his enemy. But when you're his enemy, it's no different than being an enemy of the United States of America. They sick the Navy SEALs on you and they kill you in your sleep. To know that God is love is great. To know that he's wrath is a fearful thing. And it drives you to desire his care for you and his peace that he can pour out upon you. And so thinking about this, um, I was thinking about the Psalms and how so many of them Label the Lord of hosts, a lot of times it says the Lord God, the Lord of hosts, he is our God. So it's very personal. He is my God. I don't think we personalize our relationship, particularly with God the Father. We like Jesus. Jesus is a lot more tender and soft and approachable than the Father. 
right? We see the Father as the Old Testament God of wrath, although if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that though he is wrathful, he's loving and long-suffering as often as he is wrathful, in fact, more. But if you hear the world speak, they'll be like, oh, yeah, he just destroys all these people. He destroys mankind and whatever, kills women and children and so on. Yeah, people that are his enemies, he has no part of. But those that love him and diligently serve him, he cares for like a father, the son in whom he chastens. So he's not as wrathful as you think. He's not as loving as you think. He's much more loving than you think, and he's much more wrathful than you think, all at the same time. We attribute human traits to God. There's a real fancy theological word for it. I can't even pronounce it. But it's where we attach human traits to God. Because it's all we know. All we know is how we relate to one another and the looks we give to one another, the way we love one another and so on. So we don't do well um, trying to see how God is, who God is, and attributing traits to him. He's much greater in his love and his wrath than we can perceive and he's much different in his love and his wrath than we can perceive. He's both. It's an interesting thing to see that, that we're not good at appropriating God's love, care, fatherhood, protection, and so on to ourselves. We don't do that well as Americans somehow, or in our church maybe, or in churches in general. Um, we hear about the love of Christ. We don't hear about the love of God as much. God the Father speaking there. And we, we just don't personalize our relationship with him like we should. Especially in our deepest desires to be cared for by him. We desire to be cared for by him, but we're rightly afraid of him and wrongly afraid of him because we don't know him. Um, we have kept God at a great distance because we don't have a good knowledge of him. And so there's a necessary question we've got to get straight. You've probably heard people, um, Mark over here says it a lot. He calls God Abba. Father God, Abba. And um, a lot of people like to use that word to describe God the Father. And in general, if you ask them what they mean by that, they'll say, well, if you look at it in the Bible, you see where Jesus calls him Abba, Father, and it's like saying Daddy. Um, so whenever I'm feeling the need, I'm not, I'm not mocking this personality, okay? Whenever I feel the need, I'm describing a person. When I feel the need for this spiritual intimacy, then I'll say Abba. In my prayers, I'll call out to him as Abba. And it's like saying, Daddy, because he has this close relationship with me. And while this is a true statement, it's not the whole meaning of the name Abba. So we need to be careful um, in understanding what the complete word Abba means if we're going to use it. It's important to have a close relationship to the Father. And we can have the same access to the Father that Christ has, but we have to know him as our Father. So I want to look at this word for a moment, and, and this is going to develop your peace if you can get this right. And I want to look at this word and make sure that what we're saying is what we think we're saying. Uh, when we get into the meaning of the word, if, if Abba, if, I, if you were to go to someone's house, if I, I went to, I met, um, I forgot what your, what's your father-in-law's name, Zach? Fred. So the first time I meet Fred, Zach's father-in-law, he's a real hard-working guy, construction guy, you know, real capable guy, kind of burly. If the first time I meet him, Zach's like, hey, this is my father-in-law, um, or my daddy-in-law, some, some people use that term here, this is my daddy-in-law, and I was like, hey, daddy, how uncomfortable and inappropriate would that not be, right, to meet this, he's a lumberjack-looking fella, 
He's got those big Zach hands, like if he grabbed you, it'd hurt. And he, he's a big guy. And I wouldn't be so, so flippant to go to this person that I don't know and call him daddy. I mean, if I knew him for 20 years, if he adopted me as a kid and I was allowed in his house and I ate at his table, that'd be one thing. But to meet someone and not have a tight relationship with him and call him that would be completely inappropriate. And so it is with God. It's inappropriate to call him daddy if he's not your daddy. Uh, Abba is used, believe it or not, it's, it's a very common and, and it's a very Jewish word now, though it comes from Aramaic. It's a very Jewish word now. But it's only used three times in the Bible. It's only used three times in the New Testament. It's used right here. Mark, Galatians, and Romans. It's an Aramaic word that Jesus uses. And so I want you to go to Mark 14 and we'll see it the first time. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Look at Mark 14 and 36. We'll start at 35. Jesus is in the garden in his humanity. This is the first time, interestingly, this is the first time that this word is ever uttered by anyone to the Father. The Hebrews would never, ever have used a word so casual and so intimate in their worship of the Most High God. This is a special word. In fact, the way Jesus uses it, using the word Abba and Father together, tells us something about the word. So he's in the garden. He knows he's about to go to the cross. He knows he's about to be crucified. He knows these negative things are going to happen. And in his humanity, he understands the suffering that is to come. And he's praying, if there's any other way, I would prefer that way. He went a little farther and he fell on the ground. The torment and the stress that's on him in this moment, knowing what's coming, knowing what they're about to put to him, and knowing that he, the Lord, Father God, is about to remove his presence from him and pour out his wrath on him. Both things happened. He received his wrath, but then he turned his face, rejected him. And Jesus knows what this relationship is. We don't understand it. He has a special relationship. One of the most... Um, uh, one of my favorite pictures, I've told you this before, of, of Strong back there, is I was at his funeral where his father passed away. And the love that he had for his dad, a lot of respect. Butch. You think he's like this big, he wasn't a really big guy, I was figuring. He told me his name was Butch, and I was experiencing, like, again, like Zach, this monster, you know. And he was just an average-sized guy. But my favorite picture is Strong. He's a little kid, and Butch is sitting in his chair, and Strong, Strong had his big head of hair. And he's like, got his arm on his dad. He's got this big smile on his face, and he's just like so proud to be with his dad. They had the understanding. And he wept like a baby when his dad, his friend, his father, his closest love was taken from him, you know, because he had this special close relationship with his father. Not everyone has that. And what a blessing for him to have had that. But that, I just always remember that picture and him just being so joyful in the presence of his dad, so proud of his father. And his dad's proud of him. His dad's kind of stoic, you know, and Strong's happy as can be just being there in his presence, you know. Well, right here, Jesus is so tormented knowing that that, that relationship is about to be broken. 
he went a little farther and he falls on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Maybe we could, is there some other way we could pull this off? Is there some other way we can rescue all of mankind without me dying on the cross and you turning your back on me and you pouring the wrath to me? There's got to be another way. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he gets up and he goes and gets the sleeping three and gets them to work. There's a desperation in his cry in the garden there. He's not lost his joy. He's not lost his peace. His happiness is corrupted, no doubt. There's sorrow. There's fear maybe. But it's, he's... He's not changed who he is as far as the Messiah. He's not changed the fact that he's Christ or anything like that. Um, he knows that he has to go through this, but there's this humanity on him, and the knowledge of that separation, the suffering that's to come, it's great, and the pressure is tremendous on him. And the word he cries out, Abba, Father, it's just a different word. He has... The only right relationship in this point right here, he is the only person, personality, spiritual person, that has the right to say this right here, Abba Father, because of two things. Number one, he understands the authority of God. This word is rooted in God's authority as Father. Um, being a good father over good children, it just has this understanding of both love and the potential for wrath as a father, you know, when they're little kids. It's more, this is almost more of a yes, sir, I will obey you, father kind of statement than a, uh, a, a dad, you know, where you're kind of tickling your kids and they're like, stop it, daddy, stop it. It's a different, it's not a silly thing. It's a very deep thing. It's, it has to do with authority first. The word he cries out, is a lot stronger. I think we like the idea of calling someone daddy like, like we think of Santa Claus and his provision for us and, and we can all just hop up in his lap and treat him you know, like we just was best friends. We've known him our whole life. And um, it's, just not the, it's just not how it is. This word, Abba, it's only to be used if you're willing to do what he tells you to do. There's that much power in it. If you're willing to do what he says, and number two, if you're truly related to him, you can use this word. You've got to be willing to do what he tells you to do, and you've got to be related to him. To call him daddy and not do what he says is mockery. It's like, whatever, daddy. You know, somebody that comes up and you're talking to him, you're telling him something, they're like, yeah, whatever, daddy. You're not my daddy. You know, it's a, a, we use words without care a lot of times, like the word awesome I've told you before. We use that word all the time. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. God alone is awesome. Everything else is less than awesome. A kid getting an at-bat in a t-ball is not awesome. It's very average. A lot of other four-year-olds can do it too. Awesome is the power of creation that makes all things. By the spoken word of God, that's awesome. Awesome is lightning. Awesome is thunder. Awesome is the destruction of a tornado of a hurricane. That's awesome. An earthquake. Those are awesome things. And everything else is pretty much just average. We need to be careful with the use of our words. We need to be careful with this word, Abba, 
part one is this obedience to whatever daddy says to do. Whatever the father wills, that will I do. That's what he's saying right there in Mark. Whatever he says, I'll do that. And the second part is the intimacy of the word daddy. This word still used in the Orthodox Hebrew today. Like when your kids were little, especially if you're trying to teach them something important or they were being disobedient, you'd say, yes, sir. You know, you're trying to teach them to respond. When I'm speaking about you, to, speaking with you about serious things, I want you to say, yes, sir, no, sir, you know, whatever, yes, daddy, whatever you say, however you say it in your home. Yes, papa, whatever you say. Because um, I, I, I want this relationship to be that you understand what I'm telling you. You know, it's a two-way street. I love you, but you need to understand what I'm telling you. And the child's response is, yes, father, yes, daddy, or yes, sir. So there's intimacy in the word, still used today. It's very common in the Hebrew. People, though, it's an Aramaic word. And I can just remember telling my kids that, you know, call me sir, call mama, yes, ma'am. Uh, especially if they were in trouble or if we were talking about serious things, you know, and you're trying to get them on the right path there. So the first is based in obedience. The first part of his meaning, Abba, yes, Father, I will obey you. And the second is um, intimacy. I know you, you know me, we know each other so well. I desire to obey you. The kids wouldn't climb into my lap if, <laughs> if, if they had been bad. They try to get away. It's when they wanted restoration and they would come and sit in my lap and we would, and we would be close like that. It's then that that word Abba would be used because it's then that they were willing to be obedient. It's then that they wanted that close intimacy and the connection of being held and, and, and being loved on. So first it's based in obedience and second in intimacy, or you can either way. Intimacy and obedience, the two things got to be together for it to be uh, for it to be comfortable and appropriate for us to say, Abba, Father. It's how he says it even, or how it's described here in Mark. We weren't there. He may have just cried out, Abba, and then they used the word Father to clarify what he was speaking of because this was an Aramaic word. Um, Abba, comma, Father. It's a, not a common usage thing. Go to um, uh, Galatians chapter 4. You'll see of... Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, right after Corinthians. Galatians 4. You'll see Paul with the same example as he's telling the, the Galatians that they can use this word, but there's both obedience and intimacy demanded of them as they, if they speak this word. If they're going to use this word in their prayers, obedience and intimacy must be there. Galatians 4, it's in verse 6. We can start a little further back. Now I say, look, go to 4 verse 1. We'll just read up to it so you get the context there. Now I say that the heir, the inheritee, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But it is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ, then indeed... When you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, 
How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? Here it is. Both relational intimacy, once slaves, now sons, and number two, obedience. How is it that you would rather turn again to the weak and beggar? You're not being obedient. You're going to call me daddy and not do the things that I tell you to do? What does that get you? That gets you beat. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't give you the relationship you want. It doesn't give you the closeness that you want. It gets you distance. So both things are there, both obedience and intimacy. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Again, both words. Abba, intimacy, Father. Yes, Daddy, I'll do what you tell me to do. The next place is there in Romans 8. Back up a couple chapters, a couple books. Acts, Romans, right after Acts, chapter 8. We'll see the same thing again. Start at verse 13. For if you live, 8, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, intimacy. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Okay. Are you willing to suffer with Christ? Are you willing to be obedient to the point of obedience that Christ was obedient? If so, and you're a believer in the Most High God, and then the messenger, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, then you have the right to call him Abba, Father. Don't be slinging the Abba, Father thing around if you're not willing to be obedient. It's a, it's a big deal. It says in verse 9, uh, let me see there. I might be on the wrong, no, I'm on the wrong spot there. So after looking at this word in that light, consider this word again, just that, that Abba word. Consider again the peace that Christ has given to you. My peace I give unto you there in John. It is relational peace that the Messiah enjoys and it comes from the relational obedience that he abides in. Go back to John, right there in John 14, because John 15 is right there beside it. In John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That's 14.27. And then scooch on down to 15, and he starts talking about abiding, he's the true vine. In 15, verse 4, it says, abide in me and I in you, as the branches cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Where does the full joy come from? It comes from the abiding in Christ. Abiding in Christ allows abiding in the Father. Abiding in Christ, abiding in the Father allows us to call him Abba Father. Being obedient to the commandments of Christ is abiding in Christ, which is being obedient to the commands which are in God the Father. The peace that Christ enjoys is because of his obedience and his intimacy with the Father. The purpose of Christ coming to earth is to make a way of reconciliation for men to come to the Father. He didn't come. He said, if I be lifted up, the Son of Man be lifted up, I'll draw, draw all men to myself. But who does Christ point himself to all the time? The Father. He brings them to himself that men may recognize who the Father is. Christ was at rest in the garden, even though he's about ready to uh, be hung on the cross here, he's at rest in the sense that he knew the Father had everything under control. He was at peace in that the Father had it all under control. He knew that there would be a time of suffering, a time of separation from God, but he knew that ultimately he would be raised to walk in newness of life. He would be raised from the dead. He and the Father were one spirit. They were abiding in one another. What the one thought, the other thought. What the other commanded, the other did. They were abiding one in another. And he says for us to do the same thing, whether you have the full capability right now of understanding what it means to abide in Christ, just obey what this says right here. Start right here, and you'll develop in that. It's called sanctification. You'll grow in that spirituality. You'll grow into that. But begin with the part that talks about being obedient. Obedience is the missing element in most Christians' lives when it comes to um, understanding God, knowing God, feeling loved by God, feeling loved by Christ, understanding Christ, who He is, His ministry. It's a lack of obedience for the most part is what keeps us at bay from Him. We want intimacy with God. We want peace with God. But we don't want to be obedient to His will. He tells us what to do. We just generally don't do it. We do what we want to do. We want the Santa Claus daddy and not the wrath-filled daddy. We want the daddy that just gives us whatever we want and then he'll understand if we don't do it. I, I hear people say that all the time. God knows what I am. He knows what I am. He knows what I'm doing. He knows my heart. Yeah, he knows your heart. You're rebellious and backslidden. Repent and return to him. I know your heart too. I can see it. Not me, on you, because you guys are all super holy or you wouldn't be here. But the rest of those jokers out there are some sinful wretches. And they call themselves, how many people yesterday we went to and we asked them, you know, are you a Christian? Are you saved? And, oh, yeah, I know Christ. Do you go to church anywhere? No. Uh -huh. Okay. Do you pray? Do you read the Bible? No. Okay. Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Are you one that follows Christ? Do you pick up your cross daily and follow him? No. Okay. Don't call him daddy then because he's not your daddy. John tells us that if you're doing the works of the evil one, I know your father, the devil. These are pretender believers. And I pray that's not you, because you look so good this morning, I can't believe it would be. But in this finding of peace, we need peace with the Father, and it can only be found in obedience to him and in following Christ and picking up the cross daily and so on. Uh, last point is, is Abba in the Old Testament? 
Well, the Father God is in the Old Testament. The best picture I can show you of this word being used in the same way is in Genesis chapter 22. And that's where Isaac speaks to his father and says, my father. It's the way it's emphasized. And it's the same picture of obedience. Genesis 22, if you go there, that's the story where, where Mo, or Abraham takes the, the, the wood and the knife and the flint and his son Isaac to Mount Moriah to sacrifice him as he was called to do. And Isaac is, they say around 30 at this time, 30 to 33, and he's going up the mountain with his father in obedience. And he starts with this sentence in, in 22. It says, Isaac spoke to his father and said, my father, I see the knife, I see the wood, I see the flint. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham doesn't really answer him except for the Lord's going to provide. And Isaac in obedience continues on with his father. This is the same picture, the same kind of inference of the word and the power of the word there and so on, but it's, not, it's an Aramaic word, like I said. This would be it more in the, in the Hebrew flavor, um, Aramaic being a later language. So for a three-day journey up this mountain and they leave the other um, employees on the way, and it's just, we don't know what they talked about. But we know that when Isaac brings this up, he recognizes that he's likely the sacrifice. But in obedience and intimacy with his father, we know that Abraham loved Isaac. For one thing, he was the baby of his old age. We know that he had, uh, he probably wore the skin off him, petting on him and holding him and, and just loving on him all the time, right? And now you're going to take your son in obedience to the father God up the mountain and put him to death because that's what you've been called to do. And his son can trust his father. That's why we can call him Abba. Because there's confidence, there's trust. Um, I like the word confianza in Spanish. It's like more than we would use the, what's the word for trust. But it's like confidence and trust together. Confianza. Just sounds more festive. But it's just more powerful that we got two words into one there, right, in that, in that word. That it's, it's both confidence and trust in the, in the one that's that's leading. Isaac has complete confidence and trust, and it's on Mount Moriah that the ram is caught in the thicket, and it says he looks up and sees the ram caught in the thicket, and up, so he's sacrificed where the Temple Mount is today, and he looks up to Mount Moriah where Christ was crucified ever how many years later? 2,000 years later. The ram's in the same spot. He, he sees his father, he's obedient to his father, and he says, Father, I will obey you. Whatever you say, Daddy. 33-year-old man. That's Charles back here. Going with his father. Complete trust and reliance in his father. And his father says, um, where's the sacrifice? Well, maybe it's you, Charles. All right, let's go. That's the kind of obedience we're talking about. What peace did Isaac and Abraham have between each other? What trust, what love, what confianza did they have between one another Abraham knew his son would be obedient even to the point of death, and Isaac knew his father would be um, a caretaker even if he has to take his life. That's a wild picture, isn't it? It's the same picture exactly as Christ in the garden with his father. Um, in the New Testament, both words are always included, both Abba and Father. And while the term daddy in our culture is very lighthearted and and intimate, 
It doesn't always imply obedience. And so for you today, I pray that you'll know the Father and His care and His love for you and that you will use, I pray that you'll use this term, but I pray that you won't use it lightly. A lot of times we'll learn a new, a new word and we're like, ooh, that kind of mixes it up for us. We've got, we got, uh, got a lot of energy going now. I can pray. I can be more festive in my prayers. I can be more happy. I can be more lighthearted. And the things that we, the things, if you'll see where that word is used in the New Testament, you will see that none of those situations were lighthearted situations when these people, when Christ, when Paul was using the word Abba, Father. They weren't light. They were heavy. And they were burdensome. And there's life at stake. And there's persecution at stake. And there's suffering at stake. And it's then that we cry out as sons of the Most High God, Abba, Father. So, the love of God is greater far. His care for us and His love most certainly would bring the peace that you're looking for in your spiritual walk as you go day by day and just trying to... I mean, we got it so good here. And we, we pick up the negative things that happen to us in life like, oh, it's such a burden. Oh, I had the sniffles. Oh, whatever. My dog got run over by a car. It's just ended my day. It's ended my week. I can't, I can't survive. It's nothing. It's nothing. Compared to the persecution that could come, we got to know who our Father is. If you don't know, may today be the day of your salvation and seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Forsake, may the wicked forsake their way. Turn from that in the unrighteous. Turn from his wickedness and seek the Lord and follow the Lord while he can still care for you. I noticed there in, in um, I put it in the devotional there about that chaplain, Derek Timms. He was told to remove his gold cross there in England. He was in a hospice kind of situation there. And it's so frustrating to see that that here's a man that's wanting to serve God and whatever. But Derek Tim's peace wasn't broken. In fact, he goes and he forces those uh, people to apologize for them stepping on his uh, religious rights. They said it would be offensive for you to wear that cross. Maybe somebody's not a Christian. You're in hospice. They're dying. They're not going to be offended if you bring the word of life to them. But the management came in and told them to take the cross off. Well, they asked him what he was going to do. They, he was basically removed from the job. And they said, well, what are you going to do now? He goes, well, I'm just going to be a chaplain elsewhere. The father hasn't changed. That guy's relationship with Christ hasn't changed. His relationship with people's changed because the world is messed up. But his peace is beyond understanding. What are you going to do now? If we take this work from you, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now, Mark? You got a job? I'm going to do whatever the Lord calls me to do. I'm going to go minister at the rescue mission. That's what I'm going to do. He goes right back to being a chaplain somewhere else. That's the peace of God that goes beyond understanding. He's not defeated. He's not laying at home crying in his beer. That's my dad's saying. He used to always call that one. <laughs> he's not at home sorrowful, but he's out doing it. And that's what we need to do as well. Let's pray together. We've got two little things after we pray, but I want to pray with you now, and I, I want to ask that you just for a moment there, um, maybe we can play this song while we're, while we're kind of praying. Just play it real quietly if you would, Henry. Um, the will of God. Focus on the will of God. First in repentance, ask God to forgive you for the ways you've run from him, backslidden from him, become a carnal Christian and worldly and all those things, and ask him to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and then turn to him and be obedient to him and follow him and whatever he calls for you to follow him in and begin to do that ministry. The time is short, 
Come, Lord Jesus. Let's play our song there, Henry.
Father, this morning as we come together and pray, Lord, I pray that we take this words of this song and the words of your book and we apply them to our lives and our spirit, Lord, that it's not our will, but your will be done. I pray that you would demonstrate your love to us. I know you have, but I pray that you would make it more real to us today than it ever has been before. And that the people would receive that and they would, they would reject the things of the world and begin to seek you while there's still time. Knowing that the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits and those of the people who understand shall instruct many. I pray that the people of Plant Grow Harvest would be these people. Number one, that they would know God. Number two, that they would be strong. And number three, that they would instruct many. Have mercy on us, Lord, for being weak-willed uh, wishy-washy people so often afraid to speak out Lord give us the boldness now I pray for repentance for those that are here that are backslidden and carnal in their spirituality let today it, you would break their hearts Lord and draw them to yourself and that they would desire greatly to do your will and not the things of the world but that those things would become dim and that they would seek your face above all Father we're grateful for your, your goodness to us and your care for us you are abundant in mercy and long-suffering, Lord. Your loving kindnesses, your chested love for us, Lord, that is more than we can understand, Lord. I pray that you reveal that to us and you open our minds and our hearts and we're able to understand better what it means to truly love and be loved. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. I pray for these as they heard the word today that they would receive it and they would disperse it as good messengers of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.